Welcome to Impact Duty. I'm your host, Manisha Dadlani Kripalani, bringing you empowering stories of friends and people I admire. Their voices have given me joy and the momentum to share their stories with you. Kareem Kupchandani is the Mellon Bridge Assistant Professor of Theatre, Dance and Performance Studies and Women's, Gender and Sexuality Studies at Tufts University. He was born in Gibraltar, raised in Ghana, and completed his undergraduate and graduate education in the U.S. He is the author of Ishtail, Accenting Gay Indian Nightlife from University of Michigan Press and publishes in various journals and online platforms about the relationship between migration, gender, sexuality, art, and creativity. Kareem is also a performer producing work in museums, theaters, and nightclubs. Hi, Kareem. Welcome to Impact Duty. I'm so delighted to have you here. Thanks, Manisha. I'm really excited to be here. How have you been? And where are you at the moment? Um, So I am in Medford, Massachusetts in the U.S. Um, I teach at Tufts University and I'm a faculty in residence, so I live on campus. Uh, I'm the only person in this building because all the students were sent home. (laughs) So I'm in like a 300-person building and I'm the only person here. I have my little apartment, Um, but I live in Massachusetts and things are fine for Mm -hmm. the most part here. Um, People are staying safe and so I feel good about that. That's really good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I am so delighted because you've just released and published your uh, a book. Yes. Wow. Um, I never, you know, publishing a book was never part of the the life plan. It was just, I mean, I never, I never thought about it. Um, And it just, it it feels really good to to hold it, um, to be able to, to have a, a dedication in it to my mom. So the, oh, the book really? is called Ishtail, Accenting Gay Indian Nightlife. Oh, wow. And then the, dedica- the dedication reads for my mother, my Ishtail icon. Oh, bravo. Wow. But, you know, and, and I never imagined it. And it's, it's nice to, that I can hold it, right? I've been, it's been on screen for so long. So to hold it, is, it feels really good. I'm so excited for you. And how did you come up with a name like Ishtail? It's such an incredible name. Uh, um, I mean, Ishtail is, you know, I, at some point I'm sure we'll talk about this, but you and I grew up together in Ghana, right? And, and it's something we said, Ishtail, right? Um, <laughs> and it, it sort of is, is about exaggeration and uh-huh. um, being more than the everyday or trying too hard or... So it can mean a lot of things. And it's also an accent. It's, it's the way we say style, but accented, right? right. Especially coming out of uh, Bollywood and Bombay. Um, so th- it, it got me thinking that the accent is actually a way that we're often seen in the world. Mm-hmm. People are like, where are you from? Where, what am I hearing in your voice? Or where did you get that, that lovely fabric, right? They're always reading the accents on us to interpret mm-hmm. our difference. Uh-huh. Um, so I use Ishtail to refer to exactly that, um, that sort of Bollywood over-exaggeration, but also everyday ways that people are accented um, right. and, why, and how performance becomes a way of interpreting our cultural differences and what's at right. stake in that. Um, what's at stake in that, you know, because there's, it could, you could be exoticized or it could, in, it could invite racism or it could invite a lot of pleasure. 
mm-hmm. um, when people see that difference. So, so, I, so that, that's where Ishtayel, the title comes from. Um, and it focuses on gay night, gay night life and um, in particular uh, Indian global workers who are moving across borders who, so again, when they move across the borders, their, their accent changes, right? Right. Um, like if you go from North India to South India, uh, yes. you, you hear, you hear that difference. But you, when you go from South India to the U S a different set of people are hearing a different kind of difference, right? Exactly. They, 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 they won't know that it's North Indian. They'll just know it's right. some kind of Indian, right? So, so the accent becomes a way of seeing the world and interpreting uh, others. And so for these global Indian workers who, um, I focus on, on gay men who, you know, they're not thought of as part of India's story. Yeah. Um, we're really interested in the global Indian worker and, in, and even in accents and call center workers, mm-hmm. but they're always thought of as, you know, they're assumed to be straight. They're assumed yes. to be part of India's conservative, quote unquote, uh, makeup. And they're right. just sort of doing everyday work. But in fact, these, the folks that I worked with and interviewed and hang out with are fabulous and having fun and going out at night. And we just don't think about them in those terms. So the book is an opportunity to just rethink who these folks are. Um, and what happens when they bring their different accents into spaces where they're not supposed to be, the nightclub, right? Right. Um, and, and so I was actually out there um, doing interviews, but also dancing and performing, um, traveling. I was living in India for a while uh, doing the research. I was living in Chicago. So I was in Bangalore and Chicago doing the research um, and, and meeting these wonderful people and gathering their stories and trying to represent them in some wow. honest and beautiful way in the book. Wow. And, and what took you to writing this book? As in, what was the, the inspiration or the, thir- the turning point that got mm-hmm. you actually putting pen on paper or fingers on computer? So, like I said, I never imagined being, being a writer. Right. Um, but... It's the, there's sort of a long journey to, to arriving at this topic and then applying to graduate school to research it, to write. Um, so when I moved from Ghana to the U.S., I was in a small college in upstate New York. And I went down to New York City to see my brother Rishi mm-hmm. and in the summertime between semesters. And I went to a support group for LGBT South Asians. And I had just come out that very summer. Um, and I and there were a lot of resources in New York City, and there was one specifically for South Asians. And someone at that group took me to a queer Bollywood party. Really? And yeah, and you know, it's 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 a strange thing to imagine, I guess, but <clears throat> the book shows that they're actually everywhere. They're all over the world. Um and, and I ended up traveling to, to them in several different cities and places. But, but I went to this party and I was 18 years old, you know, and it blew my mind. And it blew my mind because these were the songs that you and I used to dance to um, at weddings and at, mm-hmm. uh, at the temple and at cultural festivals. And they, um, but, it, but it was all these beautiful lesbian and transgender and gay people and bisexual people and people of all genders mm-hmm. dancing to the songs that we know, 
right? And, and not just dancing, but finding a lot of pleasure in them. You know, and the, and the nightclub is supposed to be about pleasure and joy and fun. Um, but it was just, it looked different from any other club I'd been to in the U.S. or any, you know, party I had been to on, on a college campus. Right. Um, and there was a moment where a drag queen comes out and does, did Mardala. Devdas had just come out. Really? And it was, it was glorious. I mean, she was, she was, you know, she didn't dance like Madhuri, but she was still better than Madhuri because she was right <laughs> there in front of me. Right? right. It was so close to my body. Um, and, and so that was, I was like, how is it possible? You know, what makes this possible? Right. Um, and, and what are people getting out of it? What, is, what are people um, traveling to this place for? Because I would travel five hours to come to, to New York City just to go to those parties, really? just to feel like I belonged somewhere. Um, and that for, for, for about five years, I was commuting from... <laughs> from New England into New York just to, to go there. Wow. Um, so that's, that's where this started. Um, uh-huh. And I felt like I belonged, right? It was a place where I felt attractive and beautiful, whereas a lot of gay nightlife spaces that are very body fascist, that privilege um, white, you know, that privilege white men um, that require you to be muscular and hairless. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like I belonged in those spaces, but here I did. And I, I belong not just because of the way I look, but the way I knew how to dance. Right. You know, dance is uh-huh. a way of belonging. So when I talk about accents, right, I'm really thinking mm-hmm. about the ways our body moves. Right. Um, so I was, I was, after college, I was working at a, another small college and mm-hmm. I learned of a discipline called performance studies where you focus not, not on theater or dance, but just performance broadly understood. Um, mm-hmm. You get to see the world as performance through performance studies. And I applied to this program in Chicago at Northwestern University. Uh-huh. And um, that's where I started doing research, researching how South Asians are represented in the global sphere, how the history of LGBT community and the importance of nightlife to the LGBT community um, how performance can be a way of seeing the world, like I said, through the accent. So I learned, I learned all of these in graduate school and right. wrote a dissertation that um, I filed with the university, but then spent six years editing to become this book. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's where it started. Um, so I guess it was a gradual, part, it was just like a gradual flow or, or, or progress. You know, right. It was gradual, but there were some real surprises like, in Chicago, you know, so I, I would go to these parties in New York, but in Chicago, uh-huh. I, I expected there to be parties like this there too, and there weren't. Mm-hmm. So I started one. I started a party really? called Jeho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, run, it's run for 10 years now. We celebrated our anniversary last year. Uh-huh. Um, but I started a party and I, I, you know, I remembered that drag queen from that first party I went to and I was like, mm-hmm. there has to be a drag queen at this one. And I couldn't find one in Chicago. So I started doing drag. Oh, that that's where that began. Um, so I perform as Lahore Vajistan, um, everyone's uh, favorite Desi drag auntie. But, <laughs> but it, it began through my research. Right. Um, and then, and then when I started my research there, people were saying, you know, I'm so glad we have these parties here because in India, they don't have this. And then I went really? to India. Exactly. 
Okay. And so I went to India and I stayed with my mom and dad and I sought out through friends these the party scene there. And there's a huge, I mean, not huge, but there's a thriving and beautiful nightlife scene there with its own complications. And, you know, like I said, the, the U.S. nightlife scene has racism and body fascism and things like that. The, the, the nightlife scene there has classism and casteism running through it. And there, so there are problems, right? Yes. I'm not saying they're completely joyful, but it's there and it's amazing. And, and I was meeting people in both places that I would meet someone in New York and then run into them in Bangalore meet someone in Hyderabad and run to them in Toronto. Wow. And it, but it, these, are glo- these are the global Indian workers who are right. designing our software and who are writing content for all the things that we're reading, uh-huh. um, all the instructions we're reading about how to use the internet and how to use objects. And uh, so, so they're moving across borders and I'm running into them in all these places. Mm-hmm. So it was gradual, but really starting the research took me in all in all these different directions directions wow wow and um we have a shared background of of growing up in ghana um pretty much growing up together okay (laughs) (laughs) and but you've lived in many other places uh in the last two decades um Mm -hmm. how has that shaped you um, the Ghana years and post the Ghana years, and how has that kind of led on to the creation of this book? That's a good question. Um, so, so I would say growing up in Ghana, and, and specifically growing up as Sindhi in Ghana, um, I think I wasn't particularly attached to, I don't have this like deep emotional patriotic attachment to India. Right. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, we. I just. Um, I'm. You know. I was born in Gibraltar, grew up in Ghana. We're, we're Sindhi, so displaced out of Pakistan, not just into India but across the world. So, so the the. I think one one of the things that that's done is allowed me to think, to to be able to be critical of nationalism, nationalism mm-hmm. in India, nationalism mm-hmm. in the U.S. Um, uh-huh. It's it's been. A, um, and, and the way that forces people to act. So these, these global workers are supposed to perform a very specific kind of proper Indianness, And right. often being gay doesn't ally, align with that, right? So, so they're, they're, they're wrestling with this, this problem of being attached to being a good immigrant or being, in, or being a good Indian subject. And I think I've been perhaps released from that by, by, by my sort of global displacement mm-hmm. that um, I'm able to see the, the ways that people are negotiating that. Um, the other thing is, you know, when I moved to the U.S., I thought I was moving to New York, New York City, but I was actually moving to New York State and it was quite <laughs> far away. Um, yeah. I was, you know, five hours away from New York City. Uh-huh. But it really, um, being in this small rural white town, um, suddenly made me see race in a way that I didn't know it existed in the world. Um, right. And it, you know, it made the, it, it, it created a sense of loneliness that made traveling to New York to find community very, very important. Um, so I, so as I, as I moved around, oh, actually, so in my, uh, in my senior year of college, I did a study abroad, but it was uh-huh. actually in San Francisco. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it wasn't abroad at all. It was, but well, pretty uh, much. I mean, it's I know it was the other country. side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The other side of the U.S., but 
It really, that, I think that was one of the, that, that was a time, and I just turned 21 in the US, you have to be 21 to drink. And yeah. so that's when I could go freely to all the bars, not just the ones that were 18 plus. And I just learned about how diverse and rich LGBT nightlife can be. There's performance, there's community, there's style, there's fetish, there's just everything, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. so rich and beautiful and interesting. Um, and the classes I was taking there show, showed me that the city itself had a history. Um, it, it was where Asian Americans were first, Asians were first brought to the Americas um, uh-huh. to build railroads. And we were walking those very streets. So it, um, it was where one of the first, before Stonewall, before the Stonewall riots, which are 1969, are seen as the beginning of the LGBT global rights movement, there were... Two years before that in San Francisco, there was uh, a riot by transgender sex workers that doesn't get talked about as much called the Compton's Cafeteria Riot. So being in San Francisco, being inside of that history, learning about it, going to those very clubs that are talked about in books really gave me a sense of why history and place matter to each other. So when I write the book, I think about... um, how Chicago matters to telling the story of LGBT South Asians and how um, Bangalore matters to telling mm-hmm. that story as well, that they're very specific places with specific histories, particular kinds of people are migrating there for different reasons. Um, but that's my own journey has given me that, that sense of history as well. Um, mm-hmm. along and that perspective. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing, Kareem, that we have in common is our love for Bollywood. I so uh, I, <laughs> I grew up on a staple diet of Bollywood movies. Um, I credit my terrible Hindi to Bollywood movies, but at least I can speak it. So um, how has Bollywood influenced you? I know it's a I big know. influence, but I'll leave you to tell <laughs> us. Um, I mean, so, you know, we grew, we grew up dancing at shows, you know, and, and choreographing shows and and when you graduated and at some point the mantle was left on me to choreograph performances, you know, it, it's like we passed, we passed down the responsibility of chore- yeah. choreographing um, through, uh, through each other. And, and, you know, I was, I was choreographing for, we went to an international school and mm-hmm. we're representing India on our stage and, and doing all these, these numbers yes. that were far from Indian, right? Yes. We were, yes we were dancing like pop stars and, and, right. and it really, but it, this is the thing is that, you know, dance can live in our body for a very long time. You learn these moves then, and you still remember them. You still remember how you danced and moved. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, uh, that, um, that when I got to those, those gay, gay clubs in New York, that movement was still inside of me, mm-hmm. but in the mainstream gay clubs, it's not allowed to come out right? All that Bollywood dancing. Right. You, you look like a fool if you start doing <laughs> um, full, full on Govinda. But right. at these other parties, I could move in the way that I knew how, the way that we had grown up dancing. So mm-hmm. I knew, you know, I knew that um, Bollywood was going to be part of this research project. Right. But what I didn't expect was that I was going to, so uh, on the cover is Sri Devi doing the Nagin dance. Um, wow. And, uh, and so. I didn't clue in, into that. So I'm glad yeah. you're pointing that out. <laughs> so she, and she, um, this is the Nagin dance is where she is in, in the film, Nagina, she, uh, 
she is a snake that who's transfigured who's transfigured into a woman and mm-hmm. so she dances like a snake like this and like that um with those contact lenses don't forget exa- i know the blue <laughs> contact lenses right so it's a fully camp uh uh image from our, from when we were growing up right um, but i would see people doing this on the dance floor and 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 so i would see these movements and i would recognize them but i started doing inter- when i started doing my interviews i would ask people you know what got you into dancing why do you like to dance how do you like to dance and i have several several stories of people of gay men saying either shri devi or madhuri taught them how to dance you know and so we we learned to dance from each other but right. we borrowed moves from the screens but these a lot of young lonely effeminate pe- people whether they identify as gay or not yet they're watching the screen and they're seeing something powerful and beautiful mm-hmm. and strange in this this kind of dancing mm-hmm. and they were mimicking it when they were 5 and 15 years old right and, um and so i i you know i i knew i'd be writing about bollywood dance but but i ended end up writing specifically about how madhuri and shri devi taught these these men how to dance when they were younger and uh-huh. what it means to them to bring their dance to the nightclub now right. that they're older now that they're allowed to be praised for dancing in right. in feminine ways when as a child you're not supposed to you're supposed mm-hmm. to conform to gender and you know that was the case like in ghana i i only got to do the boy steps right uh, yes. also in, right <laughs> and in the us also i joined a, a competitive bollywood dance team but i was uh-huh. only allowed to jo- do the boy steps right. but really in in these these are in these nightclubs you have the opportunity to to do it you don't have to be in drag to do it you just right. you you can just do it and and that's been really beautiful to write about is how Bollywood is beautiful and fabulous and great but yeah, has its yeah. limitations on who can move what way but in the yeah. nightclub you can do much more right and just off the top of my head um do you think we we actually have um role, dance role models in Bollywood like the yesteryears like i'm i'm putting madhuri and uh shri devi as the yesteryears but um <laughs> Uh, do we do you think we have any representation right now of really great dancers that are role models um you know the the thing the thing now is that everybody has to be a good dancer right that, that mm. i think that's the, that's the major shift so and that that's actually one of the things i read about is that the dance has become an industry for bollywood yes. there was a moment yes. where you know saroj khan did not uh actually they um they didn't give award awards for choreographers or dance directors until saroj khan did ek do teen oh i didn't know that so yeah yeah so so she was uh so our interface with dance was the actress yeah not the choreographer Mhm mm-hmm. and that starts to shift and then Shamak Davar comes along yes choreographer uh, does dil to pagal hai choreographer <laughs> dil to pagal hai and he shows he basically advertises himself because he shows that you're in a studio right and you can wear these tight leotards pull your hair back and learn how to dance in these very regimented ways mm-hmm. and then he opens Shamak Davar's uh 
I, SDIP, I can't remember what it stands yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. He opens his studios and people, and it becomes this huge industry. Yes. But, but before that, we were just watching the screen and copying. There was no, we didn't know who the choreographer was. Right. So I think You're that so that's, right. that's what has shifted in that, yeah. in that timeline. So now, yeah, everybody is a good or even great dancer. Mm -hmm. um, and someone like Hrithik Roshan does bring his own style. Yeah. But, but Helen often choreographed for herself. Um, Amitabh did whatever movements he wanted. Um, but now and they, they had trademark movements, didn't they? They had, they had then moved across film to film. Shami Kapoor yeah, as well. Yeah, Jitendra. I mean, yeah. we, we, we can all think of their trademark steps. Anil Kapoor, yeah. That yeah, but cool. now every dance has to look different, you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, and all these dance competition shows have really shifted that. So, so it matters that I'm talking about Sri Devi and Madhuri because they were really on the cusp yeah. um, of this shift in the kinds of movies that were being made in the way choreography was being done and who was being acknowledged as the dancer. Was it Saroj right. Khan or was it Madhuri? It, that's, it's with their bodies that that shifts. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And talking about mentors, I'm moving on to mentors for the book. Have there mm. been any mentors in your life to write the book or otherwise in life? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I, I, I got my mentors along the way while I was, while I was writing it. I, I was learning from the people that I was interviewing. Yeah. So, for example, um, when I... Um, when I was integrating into this LGBT South Asian community in, in Chicago, someone was telling me about Meena Kumari and why she was such, why she's such an important diva for, for LGBT, for uh, LGBT South Asians. Uh -huh. And I was like, is she? And, and he had this whole history of her um, histrionics and, the way that she demanded from Kamal Amrohi, her husband and director, um, uh -huh. that she meet, that she give him her divorce, otherwise she wouldn't really let him release Pakiza. So all this like full drama, I know, full drama <laughs> that she serves, um, and she's stunning in the in the movie and, and, and all of that. Um, and she, uh, even though she's not a great dancer, they edit it so that she looks really graceful and incredible on screen. But he gave me all this gossip too about her. But he, you know, I, I never thought about having a diva, right? And, and, right? and the people I interview actually tell me about their divas, but that was not, not something that I knew how to talk about or write about. But actually being in the community has taught me how to speak about actresses and dancers, um, what songs I should be listening to. Um, and so the, their stories have really shaped uh -huh. um, what I write, you know, they've really taught me what is important to surviving the world as a queer person to right. them so that I can see, I can tell the story through um, what's important to them. Mm -hmm. um, I've also, you know, so, so I was learning as I was going, I was, I was gathering mentors, I guess. Um, uh -huh. And they, con they, they continue to hold me accountable just by saying, you know, um, have you seen this movie yet? Have you watched that? Just on, you, but that, that's the kind of um, mentorship that's peer to peer that I think is really important when you're writing a book is people, ch they're like, I know you're interested in this. Have you seen this? 
I think that that's a really important process to account for. Um, And that's why the acknowledgements are very, very long in this book is because a lot of people were just invested in the story I was telling about them. Uh Um, And then, of course, this was a this came out of my Ph.D. and I had incredible educators who took the time to read my work. Um, My dissertation committee of E. Patrick Johnson, Ramon Rivera Cervera, Soini Madison, Guy Three Reddy, Martin Manalansan, scholars of. Uh, Black and Latino and Filipino and South Asian uh, and African histories and cultures who, you know, it it took all of their voices, but also their long histories of writing books and Mm -hmm. producing ideas to shape my own. Um, So, so, you know, they're really a core set of people that I continue to seek guidance from. Um, And then lastly, you know, I, uh, the book is dedicated to my mom, but broadly also, you know, I, um, I think about aunties and their, their role as men- mentors. And mm-hmm. they taught me, they taught me style well before yeah. I, I understood that what it meant to be fabulous or beautiful. You know, our, our mothers were really invested in looking great for each other, yeah. you know, um, they were wearing sequins in the daytime and they were, you know, they, they, they always looked good. And, you know, now, now, and we don't think about them in those terms, right. um, but they showed me that everyday life can be really beautiful and fabulous yeah. and fun. Right. They, they were rehearsing dances <laughs> in the living room. Yes. Um, right. Uh, yeah. And, and so this is, uh, so this is, I mean, this is the story I'm telling about my gay friends, but in fact, um, my aunties were teaching me how to be fabulous well before my gay oh, before. friends were. And, and I, to me, that's really important. And I continue to look to them as role models of right. um, surviving but, and thriving beautifully mm-hmm. um, while moving across borders as well. Yes. Moving, right? They all traveled into Ghana. Totally. Um, and right? creating connectivity and community, literally. Through in a foreign land. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so really they are, they've always been my mentors. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Kareem, were there any uh, stumbling blocks or in editing in publishing, getting this um, actually done as a, as a work of art? Um. Um, you know, it, it's in the writing process. I kept wondering whether it was my quote unquote right to tell this story. You know, because it's it's all about other people. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not I am a global Indian worker, but I perhaps have a different history from those people who, after India's liberalization in 1991, get these new kinds of jobs where um, they're they have a new mobility right mm-hmm. to move across borders. We were already displaced out of India, um, right. so so the the people at the core of the book are very have a very different history from mine. Um, and what, you know, one thing is to, to always remind myself, no, I did research, right? I did, I spent a lot of time with them and in their communities, but then I also, I have a chapter that explores the specificities of, of class, of caste and of, uh, region of focusing on, but I'm not, I'm not South Indian. I'm not lower class and I'm not Dalit. Um, but 
it's st I still found it very important to think through the logics that those uh, those communities give us ah. to say what is the party do who is the party for what is it doing who's left outside of it right, right. Um, so so I think really um, bringing an ethical mind to doing this work not just saying I want to write about the party and I want to talk about all the fabulous things but actually say uh, to consider different perspectives um, uh -huh. in telling that story what required me to to read a lot of things that weren't already in my purview um, mm. in order to get a better sense um, but at least in academic writing to, to make sure I was citing to to make sure that I was citing the people who had given me the ideas because sometimes they're not mine right and and I'm really relying on other people's theories of how they see the world in order to say this thing about the thing that I saw mm. through their eyes, right? So I think citation totally. uh, for academics becomes a really important way of crediting those who made the ideas available to you. Um, right. And so that, that uh, re reading a lot of Dalit LGBT um, thinkers and activists was really helpful um, and, and, and necessary to, to writing some of those things. Um, and then I, the other piece of this that wasn't necessarily writing the book, but just my own research was doing drag. It's, you know, it, it's, it's at the core of the book's method. I'm there on stage and then people right. will tell me what they think of my performance. They'll reach out to me because I'm the figurehead of the party or you know, but it became a, a way of doing it, but it's hard work, it's sweaty, it takes a long time to get ready. Um, but you also lose cultural credibility. People are like, who is, who is that person dressed like that? You know, that I, I mean, there are people who don't like me because I do drag. There are people who won't date me because I do drag. Um, and, and of course, there, there are people who love, who love that I do it and celebrate it. But I think it is a sort of controversial, and difficult um, stumbling block for others to get over. Right. And in that, I lose people I could have interviewed or talked to uh, for the project. I, I lose um, uh, people who just think what I do is silly because I dress like a girl, you know. Um, mm. So people who are really invested in the gender binary really write me off, would write my work off, think it's silly. Um, but you know, I have a lot of fun with it. And so at the end of the day, I have to embrace it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, what would you like your readers to take away from this book? If there was a core message you'd want people to take away from Ishtail, um, what would that be? Or is there any um, story of a personality featured in your book that you'd like us to to hear about or share with us? There, there are many. Um, but uh, since I talked about aunties, um, there's, there's one short section uh, in the book called Aunties at the Disco. And okay. I, um, <clears throat> I, I read about this moment where I'm at the, the Bollywood party that I, I run in, uh, in Chicago, I used to run in right. Chicago, called Jeho. And we right. called it Jeho because it was 2008 eight or nine and Slumdog Millionaire had just Millionaire, come right. out and so everybody just knew the name. So I'm at the party and I'm on one side of the party 
and I hear people screaming and shouting on the other side. So I go through all the, the sort of thick thicket of bodies to get to the other side. And I find a circle of Desi dancers doing the thing where they're all clapping and yes, one person yes. goes in the middle yes. and they clap for them. And that person does a step and then the next person goes in. And I was like, I was so embarrassed by it. I was like, because I'm like, this doesn't belong here. This is, <laughs> but, but then I realized actually the embarrassment I was feeling was being at weddings with my aunties where I know they're going to pull me into the circle and what am I going to do? And, they're, and they want to embarrass me, but they also love me. And it's such a strange, awkward moment of being in that right. circle. Nobody wants to go in, but of course you want to go in, right? Yes, yes. But everybody's going to clap for you at the end of the day, <laughs> so it's fine. But it's that being in the nightclub, being in this very gay nightclub in Chicago um, and experiencing that moment of the auntie circle, um, everybody clapping for each other. It's not, you know, that's not the way the nightclub is supposed to look or feel. Um, but they're doing it and they don't care what anybody thinks. And I, I, it was really beautiful. But what it reminded me was that we think we have to leave who we are behind when we come out. And we think we have to leave our culture and our family behind in order to enter the, the nightclub space. Mm -hmm. um, but in fact, there are ways that they come together, right? And, and, and I think that that's, that's the story for a lot of people is like, I came out, so I had to leave my family. I came out, so I had to stop acting so Indian or, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the ways that TV and public culture teach us to be gay is to often to look white and to dance, mm -hmm. um, to dance alone, you know, mm -hmm. um, or in a couple. But, but what about this auntie circle? Can we have that again? And that was that moment where I was like, you don't have to leave home to be queer. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, that was really important to me. And, and, to, and it's important to the story the book is telling, that, that the nightclub isn't separate from the rest of our world. It's actually a place where we can be in the world. It's not an escape. It's, in fact, actually a way of engaging with the world on a deeper level and through our bodies and through dance. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Kareem. Thank you. How do we access your book? Is it, um, can I get it internationally? Is it available to me if I order right now? Uh, yeah, it should. Um, so it's, a, it sh it's available via Amazon and definitely um, as a digital book anywhere in the world. But um, in hard copy, it is available on the University of Michigan Press website, um, hopefully on Amazon and also Eurospan Books. Uh -huh. um, is, is, is the Euro, uh, European distrib distributor. Um, so, you know, if, if it, if Amazon, I know that Amazon has had trouble stocking it during COVID globally, yes. but um, it, it should be available everywhere soon. And if not, the, the Kindle version is available online, wherever you are. Wonderful. Kareem, it's been such a delight speaking to you. I can't tell you how insightful your conversation has been today. Um, it's been an absolute you. perspective changer. <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait to get my hands on the book. So um, I might have to, to rely. I, I love paper, but I might have to do the Kindle version for now because I'm not quite sure if I can access it in Switzerland. Uh, but Hopefully. thank you, Car. 
Thank, Thank you. you. It's been so good talking with you. It, you know, it's, again, it's like returning home to talk with you. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, do, do I have room to tell one more story? Oh, please, yes. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was uh, just out of college, I did, um, I did a little European tour. Um, and I stayed with you. And I went, one night I went out to gay clubs in Zurich and I didn't tell you where I was going, um, but I just wanted to go out on my own. And I, um, <clears throat> that night, you know, I went to two clubs. One was like a big club and it was all fog and you couldn't see anything. And then the other place uh, was this tiny hole of a bar. It was covered in flowery wallpaper, but people were so lovely there and so nice. Really? And that, I mean, that just is, it, it's another reminder that the club can be home. Mm -hmm. But the next day when you took me to the train, you, you know, you, you didn't have, I didn't tell you where I was. You didn't need to know, but you told me, you know, um, I love you no matter who you are. Um, and that has <laughs> stayed with, I, that has stayed with me. And, and again, it's, you know, it's, but that was, that was what was working in my mind was that I had to compartmentalize these two places, um, home and nightclub. Um, and they don't have to, they don't have to be separate. Right. And no. we can, we can invite our families into our world, or we can invite home into the nightclub, even if our families don't accept us, right? There, there's the possibility of both. Um, and, and you reminded me of that, so. Okay, yeah. I'm so glad that you're ending this uh, with that story, because I do, I do remember that scene so very well. We were on the train, we were heading to the airport, um, and I remember this conversation. So I'm really glad we're ending this uh, uh, episode on that note. Big hugs to you, Kar, you and too. Uh, stay safe. Stay well Thanks. and can't wait to get my hands on the book. I know. I'll, as soon as I know where it's available, I will remind you again. All right. Take yeah. care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.